I've often wondered if he had time to process what actually happened when he was shot. He probably didn't, but if he did, his final thought was most likely about his mama and how this wasn't supposed to happen. Or maybe he exclaimed, Serenity now! Seinfeld reference. Before he took his last breath. Regardless, he went down fighting and moving forward. And we may console ourselves in this point. That he died in the cause of his country and of his God, and he is happy. He's influenced more people since his passing than he could have in life. And because of his sacrifice, our sacrifice too, really, my family and I have the opportunity to do more good for others than we otherwise could have. I wish it weren't this way, but it's what we've been given. He did what he did so I can do what I do. And I will always do my best to follow my younger brother's example. And I hope you are inspired to do the same. That's from the very end of my book on Mark, my brother in arms. Thank you for listening today to this special episode number 74. This one's from The Vault from about two years ago, almost three years ago now, when I talked to Mark's good friend Bobby Bonello on the anniversary of Mark's death back in 2017. Bobby was very close to Mark, and they were deployed together, and Bobby escorted Mark home. So there's some really good insight here into how they became friends, how they met in the pipeline, how they helped each other, and then how they deployed their conversations while they were both in Afghanistan in different locations, how Bobby got the news, and then from there, Bobby escorting Mark home, and then Bobby meeting Mark's replacement headed back to Cobra. It's a really good episode, in my opinion. A lot of good insight, and for Memorial Day here 2020, I'm re-releasing this one. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend with your family, and remember what Memorial Day is about. I'm so thankful for People like my little brother who have given all for our country and for our freedoms, and I'm thankful for their families as well. So how did you and Mark become friends? Uh, yeah, Mark and I, we actually met at the uh, in the pipeline for combat control, um, originally um, down in San Antonio, Texas, which is where we do our selection process for about two weeks. Um, so we met down there, and uh, we actually went through the entire pipeline, so about two years of training together. Yeah, so on, maybe on the surface, y'all may not have had a ton in common, but y'all became great friends. So how did y'all start hanging out, and despite, you know, I know you're a few years difference in your age, and um, you, yeah. you were probably not as tame as Mark was. <laughs> yeah, um yeah, so, I mean, honestly, like, it was just like a brotherhood, you know, like, all the stuff you hear about and people going through, you know, difficult times together, you just, it's just, you know, something scientifically that brings people closer together, and so, um, you know, it was interesting, because we did have a, a pretty diverse group of, uh, of guys that went through the pipeline together, so I think on other, you know, in other, like, circumstances, we probably, maybe we wouldn't all have been that close, per se, but, um, so, yeah, I mean, like, Mark and I just kind of gravitated towards each other. I mean, you know, we had similarities, but, I mean, in terms of, like, our upbringing, we were very different. You know, he's from the south. I'm from up north. Um, you know, he was um, walking a very religious path. And, you know, I'm not saying that I, I don't, but, I mean, uh, you know, it wasn't nearly as uh, centered in my life as it was for him. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, we were just kind of hit gr- common ground, you know, um, throughout the couple of years of training that we had. And then, 
I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, but we lived together in North Carolina after, uh, after training was over. So, um, I don't know. It was kind of common that you just, you know, you just kind of gravitated towards people and, you know, Mark and I kind of quit. How did you each help each other? I definitely know you helped Mark in the, in the style area and then maybe what did, did he, what did he do for you for both of us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we talked about that before and, I was joking with Mark that he had uh, like old old lady style, and so you know I kind of helped him out. You know he uh, he uh, I guess you know we took him uh, took him to the mall a couple times and kind of pointed out some stuff that I think might might work for him. So it was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, I mean Mark was just like an kind of like an older wiser type of you know friend and kind of almost looked at him as like an older brother kind of. Um, you know, he's just very, very intelligent guy. Um, you know, I could kind of go with him or go to him to ask any type of question, you know, whether it be related to our job or just kind of life experience. You know, he's he was really a level-headed guy, so it was just it was, he was easy to talk to and, and offer, like, you know, common sense advice, you know. So I would always be able to kind of approach him about, you know, pretty much anything. And uh, it, it was nice to kind of have that uh, central or, like, I guess, non-biased opinion. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty neat just kind of have him around in that aspect. What about with women? Did you help him out in that area? Because he always, you know, would complain about, you know, we go out and eat, <laughs> and he always had a dude serving him. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing was, is actually, believe it or not, I mean, I, I'm sure you believe it, but. You know, Mark Mark uh, attracted you know the females. There's no question about it. He, uh, I don't know, girl, obviously he's a good-looking guy, and girls kind of you know were definitely attracted to him. Um, so I mean, I feel like he kind of held his own on that. But but you know, the thing was is like Mark was definitely a unique person, and so you know when girls would meet him, like obviously they'd think he's like kind of like this bigger than life, you know personality just because he's just such such a like you know awesome guy to be around but at the same time they just they didn't really know how to you know like take him because he was just so much different than your you know a normal like bro off the street so to speak you know i don't know how else to put it but uh no it was always it was always pretty interesting to watch you know for sure so when y'all got your assignments for your first deployment I mean, what what were y'all's thoughts, and did you find out at the same time? And, and also, I'm curious, you know, with Mark going to Cobra, did y'all talk about that much? And, and then, how did your deployments differ from where you were to where Mark was? Yeah, so I mean, originally uh, after training, uh, we we both actually Mark originally got uh, assigned to Florida, you know, unit down there, and he was a uh, he seemed like he was happy with it at first, and then he kind of was like, I don't know about this, like. You know, I, I heard the North Carolina units a little bit better. And so I, I, I originally got stationed there. And so he was kind of like, yeah, I think I want to kind of transfer or like switch with somebody because there's a guy that was supposed to be going with me. And, um, and so Mark uh, asked if he could switch and got uh, approval to come and, and be stationed in North Carolina with me. So it was cool. Um, and so... Um, you know, we went through our training there, upgrade training, and then, you know, Mark really excelled in the, the, the you know, at the JTAC thing, the Joint Terminal Attack Controller, and so did I. I mean, like, it just came a little bit more naturally to him because he's just, a, you know, a really intelligent guy. 
Um, so anyways, um, based on our performance, um, once we got to our, you know, our active duty units, um, kind of dictated like where you would go, you know, where you deploy downrange to Afghanistan. And, you know, it was kind of unprecedented that Mark, uh, was chosen to go to Cobra because like basically how it was like, you know, every guy would kind of be in the hopper, so to speak and say, Hey, you know, 10 guys are deploying this, this, you know, for the next six months and we're prepping for that. And, you know, these are the 10 slots available. And so it was kind of like a rack and stack on who was the most experienced usually, but also kind of like who was the best JTAC to fit the most active positions. And so for us, I think it was five of us that were going and five of us that needed to fill five positions downrange. And so uh, it just so happened that Cobra happened to be one of those places that needed to be backfilled. And um, so of the five guys that were deploying, Mark happened to be the, I guess, best uh, JTAC of those five. And so he was selected to go. And I, I say the best because he was not the most experienced, but he was the best. So there were other guys that had uh, more, more experience than him, but just kind of didn't show the aptitude that Mark showed. So that was ultimately how he got selected to go to Cobra. And um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thing because there was some um, heartburn over that decision. Um, there were people that were not happy about that, people that were either currently home stationed, and there were guys downrange saying, like, hey, you know, you should move me here. And, you know, this is Mark's first deployment. He shouldn't necessarily be going to Cobra. And so that was kind of a point of contention for at the time for our unit. And of course, like, you know, I know I'm kind of getting a little long winded here with this question, but, um, you know, Mark proved over the five months that he was at Cobra that he, he should be there. Like, so, you know, obviously he was brand new in his first deployment, but, you know, he spent five complete months, at that location and did very, very great things uh, for his team and for himself and, you know, to represent combat control uh, as a whole. So I think what I'm trying to get at is it's an testament to the level of professionalism and, you know, the level of quality of guy that you were dealing with. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What did he tell you, Bobby, you know, when he found out and I'm guessing that he knew at least some of the chatter going on. What were his thoughts on it? Yeah, so it was kind of, it was interesting because, like, he, he told me, you know, one day, he was like, hey, uh, kind of like, you know, whispered it, so to speak, like, hey, man, uh, I guess there's some rumors going around that I might be going to Cobra. And I was like, yeah, I don't know about that, man. Like, it just seemed a little bit of a far-fetched idea. And uh, just because it was so outside the norm, you know, of what typically happened. And, uh, and so, you know, I kind of was just, you know, I guess that it was, you know, to a sense, I was like envious because I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. You're going to do awesome things. You're going to be, you know, in, you know, in a very active place, which is obviously all of us wanted to be. Um, but at the same time, I was, you know, I, I was a little bit skeptical because I knew like, like, hey, man, like this is this is not a this is not a game. You know, obviously we. uh we train hard, but it's like, you know, you kind of want the best for your best friend. And I know that that was a very um, challenging place to be. And so, you know, I was, 
obviously I didn't let him know this, but I, it was worrisome because, you know, I just know that place is, is nowhere to mess around. You know, what the, the, it was not forgiving, I guess you could say. Do you think it bothered him that some other people were upset that he was going? No, I don't, I don't think it bothered him. I, I don't think that's a good word for it. I think he was honestly more concerned, like, you know, because he was just always, like, interested in, you know, like, being people's friends and, uh, you know, making a good reputation and an impression on people. And so I think he was more, like, of the mindset that, you know, he didn't really want to make people mad or make enemies because he was chosen to go there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, he told me, I remember him telling me that he was going to Cobra, and he said, hey, don't say anything about that right now, Thad, because I think some people aren't happy about it. And they, I didn't understand what that meant at all. I mean, I understand yeah. much more now, but um, he was he just like, hey, I just want you to know this is this is where I'm going. Of course, I knew nothing about it at the time. Yeah. So how did his deployment, now y'all are in country, how did his differ from yours? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, is like, Afghanistan is, is such a complex place and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very tribal, right? So, you know, it's just got, you know, I'll kind of like equate it to, you know, being in the United States. Like if you're in, you know, Southern California, it is a much different culture than it is in Alabama, you know, and that's mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. And so it's very similar in Afghanistan, whatever region you're in, it's very, very different. And so, um, with that comes, you know, people who were on the side, so to speak, of the Taliban or, you know, the safe haven for them or maybe a stronghold for them. And so, you know, places w tend to be more active than others. And, you know, that's that's uh, dynamic, too. It's not always like one place is always the worst and the next place is, you know, so it changed, right? But for me, it was... Um, it was pretty, you know, I got my feet wet really quick. I, I think it was the second day in country, and it was, uh, I mean, I was in a uh, very, very close engagement with, you know, rifles, you know, up to 20 to 30 meters. That's, you know, it's relatively close. And so um, I definitely got my feet wet quickly, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't Cobra, right? So it was just, we, you know, it was just kind of one of those happenstance where, like, it would just kind of picked up and, you know, we had a couple bad guys in the area and we just kind of took care of it. And, you know, it was onesies and twosies type thing. And and so, you know, it was, it was just a different feel. And, like, you know, when you're a Cobra, you know, that type of that environment is like, you know, you have no white space is what we call it. And so basically, as soon as you leave your compound, you just don't know who's who's bad and who's good. And so naturally it's just this uneasy feeling traveling around in that in that environment so um you know in terms of dropping ordinance i i didn't drop nearly as much as him so it's you know it's, i think he was pretty routinely dropping so i think you know in terms of like having an active deployment you know i think he would he was definitely uh much more active than i was how did you and him communicate? Because I know you kept in touch pretty regularly, or I think you did. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, uh, I had, like, um, just, like, this crappy little internet that we were able to, I think the government gave us. 
So, I mean, like, I was literally living out in the middle of a, a village, so it, I wasn't at a base, and um, so it was, it was, it was rough living for me. I, I, like, Mark was at a fob, so it was, you know, somewhat built up. I mean, it's definitely not, you know, it's definitely not paradise by any means, but it, it was a little bit more than what I had. I, I was living out of a safe house, basically, and uh, so anyways, we had a... Uh, government issued like you know network or whatever that connected to satellites we'd talk um mostly online i guess through email um and every so often we'd call through the iridium phones satellite phones and uh chat over the phone and um i think the last time i talked to mark was probably about i'd say a week or two before before he was killed okay what well, what was your conversation about the the our last conversation yeah the last one yeah so that, you know that that's interesting um so you know obviously I was kept abreast of what he was doing you know and you know I like vice versa and so I always knew and obviously I was able to read sit reps that like you know things were things were busy for him and so you know we we'd talk and you know he'd kind of allude to that the fact that he felt he was being targeted. And, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's like, you know, if you went out your, in your backyard, you kind of know your neighbors, right? So, you know, the people that are surrounding you. And so I think that's kind of the, the feeling I got from our conversations was that, you know, he was in that, that location for five months. I had a feeling that people knew who he was and he felt like they were targeting him. And then he told me that, and he said, man, I feel like, you know, each time I go out, the rounds are getting closer and closer. And I was just like, hey, man, like, you know, you got to be careful. Just keep your head down. Like, we only have a month left and we're out of here. So, you know, just kind of just, just bear with it, you know, like <laughs> try to, you know, I, I, it's hard to say because it's like, you know, you want to be like, hey, man, like keep your head down and just kind of ride out the next month. But same time, it's not always your choice to you know pick and choose what you're doing if you're going on missions if you're not and so it's kind of like he it was almost like this this concern that he he was you know indirectly talking to me about but you know I, I really could only offer so much advice just you know like I said you know and um you know I, I, in hindsight I look back on that conversation and I kind of felt like it was one of those you know those moments where like, you know, God was speaking to both of us in the, in the, in our conversation, it was kind of like, you know, I don't know, I might be reading a little bit too much into it, but it was like, you know, was he kind of like saying, Hey, this, this could be it for me. You know, I, I don't know. I, I look back and I'm like, man, like, did he have enough like thought or information, I guess you could say to be like, this was like his way of just kind of, prepping I, I don't know i mean obviously mark was very close with god and he was uh very in touch with you know those those type of uh feelings and you know i i can't help but to think that that was the case you know it was kind of his way of just being like hey man like if i don't talk to you like you know that's the luck you know <laughs> i mean i don't know so that that's, was one to two weeks good. before he was killed yeah yeah i think it was about a week week or week or so before he was on his last mission, so. Well, and I've never heard that, Bobby, and that's, it's interesting because, as I've said before, and I said this at Mark's funeral, 
you know, I, I noticed, and I know Joseph said the same thing that he noticed the, you know, Mark started telling us that he loved us, and then he would, and, and the frequency of that, you know, uh, upped. And uh, I wonder the same thing is, you know, you were looking back, you know, he's talking about being targeted and the rounds getting closer. And I, and that probably also affected his reaction, his interactions with us. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can't remember, like, you know, I've talked so much and honestly, I don't remember what I said and what I haven't, but, you know, it's definitely one of those things that, uh, you know, I don't really talk too much about it, but, you know, I, I do vividly remember our, our conversation, our last conversation. And, uh, you know, I think I've talked to Johnny a bit about it. And so it's just it's one of those things where you can't help but wonder if that's kind of, you know, what the direction that conversation is going, you know. So, so take us to that day on September 29th and how you uh, almost basically accidentally found out about about his death, his death, and how all that went yeah. down. Yeah, so I was I was at the uh, at my I actually moved um, about a, four months into my deployment. I moved to a different site, so I was a little bit bigger of a site. It was it was we actually had like a proper you know setup, and uh, it was a bit like Mark's, like a fob. And um, I was in the operations center, which is, you know, like the focal point of where we do a lot of our planning and coordination for internal to the team. And, you know, we had satellite communication set up with a speaker box and you can hear, you know, people all around Afghanistan, the soft community calling in and talking about, you know, what they're doing and where they're at. So you can basically listen to what other, other teams are doing. And so, you know, I I had walked into the operations center after doing some whatever, I don't know, messing around at the at, at my room, and I was going to do some sending out some emails, and I, I heard that his team, I heard there's call sign, his team leader or team sergeant, come over the uh, SATCOM radio and declare that they were in troops contact, which means, you know, they're in a firefight. And I could tell by his voice that he was pretty frantic. And so I was, you know, I, I wasn't too alarmed by it just because I'd heard it a lot before, right? So Bobby, was this Wes Wilson or do you know who it was? I, I don't know if it was Wes, but I, I assume it was because usually it's the team leaders that would call up and, uh, you know, communicate with higher headquarters. And so I heard uh, who potentially could have been Wes call up you know, announced his call sign, and I was like, okay, that's Mark's team in a tick, you know, and he's passing information about the enemy and all that stuff, and then uh, a little bit of time goes by, and then I hear, um, I assume, you know, the information war- made its way back to West or whoever the team leader was and and uh, found out about Mark and Calvin, and, and so I was sitting there, and over the SATCOM comes, you know, the, the call sign, and, it, and then that person said to higher headquarters, he said, hey, our uh, our JTAC and our Delta are KIA, killed in action. And so, uh, you know, naturally I had this really, like, I could feel my skin tightening up, and I was kind of like, you know, I didn't really want to believe it, you know, because it was kind of like, oh, man, that, that must be somebody else you know, but because I know there are other teams co-located and, you know, other JTACs 
in that area. And so I was just kind of like in denial. And so uh, I looked just to confirm on the spreadsheet that I had that that was, in fact, Mark's team. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, that's Mark's team. And so I verified the call sign. Then I was like, okay, like, let me read what's going on. I was like, okay, yeah, Mark is out today. But I'm like, ah, it still could be somebody else. And then, uh, so then I'm, you know, obviously I'm a bit panicked at that point. I'm just like, man, this, this, this can't be happening. And then, um, so I ended up picking up the phone and I called back to the, uh, stock, which is basically where it's the hub for combat control, um, teams that are, it's basically the hub for combat control in Afghanistan. And I called back to get a hold of my commander who's in, in country and, uh, Amy Osborne picked up and she said, uh, I said, Hey, this is Bobby. And she was kind of quiet. And, she, and I said, I said, is that Mark's team? And she was, she was dead silent. She didn't say anything. And then uh, I could tell that she was kind of holding back tears. And, and then the next thing she said to me was, um, you know, what can I do for you? And I just, I was just really, really overwhelmed at the time. And so I threw the phone down. I was just, I was furious. You know, I mean, that was kind of the only way I could react. And I threw the phone down and just ran out of the operations center. I was just, I don't know. I was just really upset. And so, you know, my, my team leader and my team sergeant were both in the operations center and they, they knew what was going on. You know, they could see what I was doing and they knew that my friend had been killed. I didn't have to tell them. They just kind of put the pieces together based on what I was doing and the conversations I were having. So then I went to my room and, and, uh, just, I don't know, put my head down. And then I went outside, just kind of was trying to gather my thoughts. And then, uh, you know, the, my team leader came up and man, it was crazy. Cause like he was, you know, his eyes were watering and stuff. And I was just kind of shocked that like I had, my emotions had touched him so much that he, he was feeling that way. And, um, he's like, what can you do? Well, what can I do for you? And so I was like, yeah, I gotta get out of here, man. This is, uh, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta go escort Mark. I mean, there's just no question about it. That was something him and I had talked about beforehand. So then I went back in the operations center. I called back, Amy answered, and um i said hey you know you need to get me a flight out of here and so uh so she started working it and then in the meantime i was going to pack and uh, pack my stuff so because i knew i wasn't going to come back if i brought mark home so that's basically where that leads off <laughs> did you break anything before like in your anger no, not really. I mean, I threw the phone down. I mean, I, I wasn't like, my intent wasn't to break it. It was just kind of, <laughs> just, you know, I didn't really know. It wasn't really subconsciously kind of just doing that. But, but yeah, I mean, I was packing my stuff pretty quick. You know, I'd already been there for a month, so I was kind of settled in. But the team, you know, you know, they're like, man, you're leaving? I'm like, yeah, I got to go. Because, you know, it was one of those things where if you decide that you're going to bring home your buddy, you know, and that's the agreement we, we made, you know, it's going to happen. So it was interesting because, you know, the weather actually was really bad where I was. I was in Eastern Afghanistan at the time. And so 
um, they couldn't get me a flight out because the weather was called red. It was, the weather was wet, the red, excuse me. And so that means, like, you can't fly in it. And so I was like, well, and, you know, so basically my commander and everybody knew how much, you know, that would mean to me to bring Mark home, and I was pretty determined to do it. They actually went through and jumped through some hoops to get me a medevac, which is the only thing that can really fly in red air, which is, you know, it was definitely one of those things where they were, they were pulling some strings, no doubt. And so the medevac came that night, picked me up, finding weather they shouldn't have been, and uh, brought me to another air, airfield that was close. It was a helicopter, and then fixed wing took me to Kandahar, which is where I ended up meeting Mark. Bobby, what were your feelings when you first saw him there at Kandahar? Yeah, so I, I showed up. I landed in Kandahar, and um, my commander and I think my team leader, if I remember correctly, picked me up in a in a truck and uh, obviously they asked me they said, Hey, do you wanna do you wanna see Mark? And I was like, Yeah. And so they brought me straight from the airfield to the basically I think it was just kinda like the uh I don't know, I guess morgue. I don't know what other word to use. I don't know if it was called something else, but so they brought me in and then basically they opened this thing up and brought Mark out and just put him on a table basically and uh bobby first yeah, of all, was he was he in the transfer case at that time those casket like things or was he in something else no he was just he wasn't he wasn't in that he was just like on a table basically on like a little like a gurney almost you know that you'd see at a you know an ambulance carries around and uh yeah it was it was tough you know because you know like it looked like Mark, you know, I mean, nothing, you know, he had only been, you know, only been killed for a couple hours. So it was, you know, like everything was very intact. It was, his body was normal. And, and so like they cleaned him up obviously. And he didn't have a shirt on. I don't think he had any clothes on, but it was, he had something covering his waist down. And so he's just kind of sitting there. And I noticed his left arm had a, uh, you know, it was bandaged up, and I thought that was kind of weird with some gauze. Um, so I don't know exactly why it was bandaged up, but his chest, you know, you can clearly see a hole in it. And uh, on the side and the left of his pec. And, um, you know, other than that, like, everything just looked normal. You know, it looked like Mark. And so it was, it was really weird because, you know, when you see someone that's, like, just, they look like themselves, you know, it's just like, it's, it's weird to just kind of be like, all right, you know, like, you know, they're not going to communicate back to you, you know, it's, so it was, it was, it was a tough time. And, you know, I, I, I thought the room, I, I thought I had the room to myself. So I was just kind of, I, I got pretty emotional, obviously. And um, then I, I had like kind of spent probably 10 minutes just kind of taking a knee and just, you know, doing a little praying and just talking. And uh, and I look back and I realized that my commander and, and I think my team leader were still in the room. So, you know, I don't know. I felt like I had my 10 minutes of peace and kind of, you know, it was time to kind of move on. And I was, you know, I was, it was tough. So I, I, I didn't know. I wanted to stay longer, but I, I didn't. So it was kind of like, 
the rest just go now. Just kind of felt like it was the right time to be done. Was the team so. leader uh, Greg Walsh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. And I asked I, some of these questions because I'm trying to put some things together based on, you know, things I've heard yeah. over the years. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. My team was Greg Walsh. I'm just trying to remember if he was there. I think he was. I think that was it was him and my commander. So. Okay. Yeah. So Bobby, what happened after that? Because we've got that picture, and, and the folks, listeners, if you go to my website fadforster.com or patrioptothecore.com, first of all, if, when you go to that for the first time, you're going to get a drop down, and you're going to be able to sign up and get chapter three of my book. For free, and that's a lot of this is talked about in Chapter 3. You'll get Bobby's first-hand account. And also on the on uh, the post for this, the show notes for this episode, is a, the picture of Bobby standing there in the C-17 at Kandahar. So at that point, you got the transfer case with a flag draped over it. W- when did that take place? Obviously, Mark had to be moved from the, the gurney-type thing to that casket. Yeah. Do you know what happened? No, so basically when I was done, it was basically um, that, I think that was the time from then forward they were prepping Mark, because I think it was probably, it was probably a good like one or two o'clock in the morning once I got to Kandahar and saw Mark and all that stuff, and the plan was to get on that flight, I think it was like at 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, fly out of there and head straight to Germany, I think, and then straight to Dover from there. Um, but, uh, so I think from the time I left, they had prepped Mark to kind of be in that, you know, that, that, you know, casket you're describing. And, uh, I basically just, there really wasn't enough time to sleep or anything. So I just basically stayed up, got some food and then packed my stuff, made sure it was good to go, did a little bit out processing. And then, uh, that morning, you know, right before our flight, basically they do the onloading ceremony at, Kandahar where they you know pay their respects and load load uh, the fallen onto the C-17 I think collectively there was three guys on the plane and so they loaded Mark's body and then they kind of let people come in and pay their last respects and then uh, that's where that picture was taken and close by was Calvin which is Mark's uh, medic that was also killed with him and uh, one other one other uh, individual, I, I don't remember exactly who, I can't remember if it was a Marine or somebody, but there was three total on the plane, which is kind of crazy because C-17 holds a bunch of stuff. I mean, I think a couple tanks or whatever it can hold, and uh, the thing was empty. It was literally empty, minus three caskets and uh, three escorts and then the air crew. So it's just it's pretty amazing to see you know, that level of honor and um, given to, you know, the fallen soldiers, you know. I mean, you know, that's that's a big resource to, to dedicate to, you know, bringing back three guys. And so it was pretty, it was pretty in- interesting. But it was a very long flight. You know, I chatted with, uh, you know, um, Calvin's uh, escort, who I think was also on Mark's team, and he was uh, one of the SF guys. And so him and I talked a little bit, and that's kind of when I got on my computer on that very long flight home. You know, you kind of sleep a little bit, and then I got on my computer, and I wrote a bunch of stuff down. It was kind of weird because I didn't know that I was going to speak at 
um, Mark's funeral and uh, and the um, dedication ceremony down in Herbert Field. So I didn't plan for that, but I, you know, I had a bunch of stuff written down because, you know, it was one of those things where I was just, I couldn't think of anything else to do besides just reflect on our time together. And it just made sense because there was a lot of emotions and, uh, you know, memories that were coming back during that flight. And I was just like, man, I, I couldn't risk losing that. So I wanted to put it on paper, you know? And so I was typing. And then I think when I landed in Dover, eventually I found out that, uh, you know, I was going to be speaking at those events. So it kind of naturally, made sense that I would just, you know, incorporate a lot of the stuff I already had written. Who asked you to speak? I can't remember if it was your mom or somebody. Honestly, I don't remember who asked me to speak at Mark's funeral. might have been you. I Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, uh, and so that was, you know, it's interesting because I'm not really big for the spotlight. I don't really typically enjoy being in front of people speaking and so but it was really weird because during that time at mark's funeral it was very very came very natural you know and it just it felt like it was really easy to do because everything was just so genuine you know when you're talking about a topic that is very genuine to you it's it's kind of easy to do and so um although it was difficult being that you know the situation but it was the words kind of came pretty easily which is kind of an interesting uh thing i observed from, from doing that mm-hmm. and you did a really good job bobby and it was it was mixed with uh humor and with you know i guess sadness and you did it thursday at the funeral and friday at the memorial there there in north carolina and so we appreciate you doing that uh i remember you know, we were waiting there at dover for the plane to arrive. And it's funny now, I I, I guess we knew you were coming. But yeah. I, I, I figure we knew. Did we know you were coming? Or do you even know? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you did. Because okay. I remember your mom, she, you know, she was, you know, she she knew that I was going to be there. And, and so she, I remember you guys saying that you were really happy and thankful that I was able to do that. And, you know, I know your mom was just, you know, it was tough seeing her because it just felt so terrible for her. And, and describe that, that meeting and embrace with mom at Dover. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, one of those moments, special moments, because, you know, that's I feel like that's the point where, I mean, I, I literally had met your mom once before, I believe. And that was, you know, basically the last time that Mark saw your parents, which was down in Florida when we were when we were uh, deploying and so I literally had only met her once but I felt like I know I knew her really well just because Mark and I spent so much time together and I'm sure that we you know we came up in conversation with each other as a family and uh, it was uh it was tough because you know I just hated seeing her mom who's the sweetest lady you know uh just in so much pain you know, and it's just the only way to describe it. You know, she had, she had lost her son, and it's just, I couldn't even imagine the feeling that she was going through. And so it was kind of, but, you know, it was weird because, you know, I kind of felt that, you know, we just instantly made this connection, and that's why I feel like 
you know, your mom and I have really, you know, kind of kept close over the last, you know, couple of years. And it's just, uh, I think it was one of those things that was special for her that I was able to do that for her son. And obviously there's no, there's no way that I could ever replace Mark, but I feel like her and I have this kind of connection now that we're, you know, it kind of a little piece of me, you know, lives on and whatever, a little piece of Mark lives on me, I guess, or I guess however you want to put it. But, um, it's, it's, it was, it was tough. It was definitely, it was tough seeing everybody there and seeing the whole family and your dad. I don't know. It was weird because I'm like, what do you say? You know, I mean, it's always Mm -hmm. one of those things where you literally like people ask, like, what do you say? And it's just, I don't know. There is no answer. There's really can't say anything. So there there wasn't much said. I don't, if I recall. Well, I remember, I think it was me. I remember asking you as we were kind of standing around before we had gone out for the actual ceremony. And I said, Hey, Bobby, did you see Mark and how did he look? Yeah. And you started to answer and you kind of looked over at Colonel Armfeld for permission, you know, is it okay? And then he, he kind of nodded and yeah, you said, yeah, his arm and his, and his upper chest. I mean, do you, what do you remember about that? And then how did we, what else do you remember about us as a family, how we looked and how we acted? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, you just never know what in those situations, like I said, what, what should be said, what shouldn't be said. And especially since, you know, I didn't know what you had heard and what you hadn't heard. And I felt like I was kind of walking on eggshells. I feel like you guys were looking to me for answers. And I had, you know, Colonel Armfield, who now is General Armfield, I think is retired now. But, uh, you know, I I didn't want to put myself in a weird position where I was saying something I shouldn't be. And and so, um, you know, I was kind of treading lightly. And then, you know, I I could I just remember you guys all grouped together, um, you know, very tight family and um, just kind of looking at me and just, you know, it was one of those things where I don't think there was any relief. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I can't really describe what I felt when I saw you guys in terms of like what you, I mean, it was kind of like disbelief, but just like you, you might've been looking for answers. I, I don't know. <laughs> it was really hard, hard to describe. Yeah. And for us too, but it, it was, it was a good thing to see you. I know it was for me anyway. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, when you went, I think when you went back, Bobby, you, you were going back, uh, you were getting redeployed not too long after that. And yeah. you called me and you told me you had some options and you were angry. This is, the, yeah. this is what I remember. You wanted some revenge, but you said, Hey, I've got these options that I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, of these two locations to go. And you yeah. also wanted to wear Mark's don't tread on me patch that he was wearing when he was killed. So you got that and took it back. But, I don't know what can you say about that that next pretty quick deployment and did you did you make the right decision? Yeah, so it kind of how it boiled down was a couple months after I think it was in like December. So I got back. Mark was killed in September, and then you know I think an offer came across the bow to go and uh, deploy to uh, Cobra, and. Um, and so that was a really quick turnaround. I think I was I left in February, and so 
you know, like I mentioned, uh, actually the, the, the mission Mark was killed on, there was, it was actually a really successful mission and kind of driving out the Taliban and, and setting, uh, kind of like, you know, kind of cleaning them out more or less out of that Valley. And so, you know, that was the upside is that, you know, Mark really had a huge impact on that area and, and, and really kind of changed it. And so, the, the the dilemma, I guess, so to speak, was the option was to go to Cobra. And then, you know, I had other people telling me that if I wanted to really be involved with fighting the people that Mark was fighting, I should go to somewhere else south of there in, um, in Helmand. And so it was, it was kind of a tough, and that's basically what I proposed to you. I was like, you know, what do you think I should do? You think I should go to Cobra or you think I should go to Helmand? And so it was like, you know, should I go try to fight the people in, in Hellman or should I go back to Cobra and see what remnants is left and fight those guys? And so ultimately I decided to go to Cobra because I felt right. And, uh, you know, I ended up a little bit farther south of Cobra. It wasn't at the actual fob because things had kind of spread out. And, um, you know, it, it, the deployment was fine. We, it was, it wasn't as active um, as I had hoped. Um, we did find out a decent bit of information that, you know, kind of led us to um, ultimately figuring out, like, who the, the main orchestrator of, you know, that, that attack was, you know, in September where it killed Mark. And uh, unfortunately, due to regulations and, you know, the administration at the time, they were so on what we could and couldn't do um you know naturally i was just furious because it was it was it was tough because i I, we kind of generally speaking knew where where these people were and um potentially the person that even orchestrated the attack and um we were basically told we couldn't go to 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 go you know kind of unleash on them and uh you know you can imagine how frustrating that must have been for me and um you know i don't know i i, I don't know it was kind of like almost like one of those feelings where people are dangling a carrot and you just don't even <laughs> you know you're starving and you need something but you know at the end of the day i think you know once being kind of loosened up you know people were able to go in that area and and do good work and uh but it just, it was tough because, you know, knowing what I knew and, and kind of being restrained was, was not a good thing for me. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I look back on that deployment and I feel like, you know, I don't know if it did worse, worse for me or better, but I, I kind of lean on the side of worse because it's just how things played out. So, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. You just can't, you can't ever predict on how things are going to turn out. Was it on that flight when you went back over that you – is that where you met uh, Mark or Cal's replacement and uh, maybe Mark's team leader or something? What what happened there? Because it's really interesting you described that. Uh, oh, yeah. That, so, you know, when I was flying back from Kandahar with Mark and Cal and uh, basically, you know, we stopped in Germany and uh, – you know, it just so happened that the guy that was replacing one of the team leaders at Cobra, because it was two teams, we ran into him, and 
the previous team leader is 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 still alive and he's in his will and uh but he was badly injured and so you know this guy was coming from the states we met him bumped into him in germany and uh the guy that was escorting cal home was obviously an S- a green braid he knew he recognized the guy so we went up and talked to him and he's like hey you know what are you guys doing you know like i'm on my way and i'm heading to cobra and you know him and this guy and i looked at each other and we're like oh man like like should we even talk to him about what you know and so ultimately we decided like you know the reality is we should we should you know disclose like what we're doing and so we're like yeah you know we're we're escorting two guys home right now they're dead that literally just came from cobra and uh it was i think it was pretty uh pretty eye-opening for for that gentleman he it was his first appointment and mm. oh it, you know you can imagine the way that he felt and you know we kind of felt a little bit of anxiety for him because you know that's 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 a lot of weight to put on someone's shoulders but at the same time like you know i think the weight of you know the reality is is something also good to know so yeah, it was it was interesting, you know. I mean, the guy, the look on this guy's face is is I'll never forget it. And you know, it's just tough to uh, be in that situation. Yeah, I imagine that would be concerning. You're going to to an area where two guys on your team were just killed, and uh, yeah, so that would have been Will Lyle's replacement, right? Yeah, I believe so. And Will has been on the podcast. Uh, I forgot okay. which episode, but Will was one of the earlier episodes, and, and for the listeners, yeah, he lost his, his legs over there. I yeah. think it was in August, so August of 2010, right? A, you know, a little over a month before Mark was killed, month, month and a half. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Bobby, to wrap it up, I mean, what what has Mark's impact been on your life? Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one to sum up in a, a sentence, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was, um, you know, it was an absolute pleasure to to kind of live alongside him for the couple of years that I did, and, um, you know, it, it was certainly a, a turning point for me, and honestly, you know, I felt like when him and I were together, it was, uh, he was a really good impact and influence on my life, and um, you know, there was a couple of years after that, you know, I was a little bit lost. Um, you know, I had a lot of different emotions going on. And, uh, and so I kind of feel like I went down a, a weird path for a little while and not necessarily something I'm, you know, that proud of, but, you know, I think ultimately the impression that he left, you know, kind of led me back to where I am today, which is, in a really good spot and um, both, you know, physically and spiritually and uh, I have a wife and kid on the way and I really feel like, you know, that influence that he, you know, he had on me was definitely, uh, uh, you know, something that I'll always carry with me and I'll be able to kind of instill on the people that I, you know, come across and I'm actually still in the, you know, the career field so that you know, I, I feel like it's so important for guys to really understand who who Mark was and keep that his legacy alive, you know, and I feel like it's just the only way to honor people that, you know, make that sacrifice is just to continue to talk about them and, you know, never forget them. 
Yeah, well, Bobby, my family and I thank you tremendously for your loyalty and friendship to Mark and also to us. And, um, you know, just for keeping in touch with us and for coming around. And we've are, we are very happy for you. I mean, yeah, you're, you're working full time. You're in the guard. You're in grad school. You're married. Yep. You got a baby on the way in December, right? I think December or January. Yeah. yeah, December. Yeah. Man, very happy for you. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> a lot Anything going on, else? It's, it's no, I think that's it, man. It's, it was a pleasure, and I'm glad we could, uh, you know, kind of commemorate Mark's, uh, Mark's life a little bit and shed some light for, uh, for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, thank you. This is a really good uh, interview to, to be for September 29th as we commemorate the 7th anniversary of the death of Mark. So thank you for talking about it and, and for kind of stirring up some emotions with me. And I know it will with at least some of the listeners, including, you know, some of my family that'll be listening. And I think it probably did with you too. And big appreciation, buddy. Uh, great hearing from you. And we'll uh, talk with you or see you sometime soon. Okay. All right. Take care, Dad. When I fly that plane.